again at uh, the Old Testament keys to New Testament parables. I think this is part five. And we're going to look more at just one book tonight. And we're going to look at the book of Hosea. So if you'll turn to the book of Hosea, please. And we're just going to read quite a bit through it. We're going to jump across it for time's sake, but we're going to look at it. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, that's how you'll find it. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Now we have covered quite a bit of ground, uh, quite a number of years uh, from Old Testament to New. And of course this carries, this key carries right up until, as we've shown you even in bits and pieces throughout the study, but right especially last week um, with Ephraim being the head name of the house of Israel. There was a man called Ephraim, Joseph's son. The, if you remember, the birthright then was given to Joseph, which passed to Ephraim. Ephraim, the son, Manasseh, the other son. Then there's the tribe of Ephraim, which comes from his family. That tribe, that name, as Ephraim, the man, dies and time goes on, that tribe grows. And it becomes, when they're rested in Canaan land, becomes the name of the northern ten tribes in Israel. Northern ten tribes are called Joseph sometimes. They're called Ephraim. Sometimes it refers to it as Samaria because of their capital city. And it's called the house of Israel. We've showed you the key. The, the key that is the two houses. Northern kingdom of Israel. the Southern kingdom of Judah. And tonight we're going to look a little more. And Old Testament really for the... It's important when we see... There's, in the book of Hosea, it's a, if I can call it a love story, but it shows the whole picture of Israel, of the scattering and of redemption through the gospel in which we have tonight. I'm going to show you that, uh, God willing, just in the book of Hosea. So the gospel I did one Sunday night, I think it was maybe last year or the first year we were here, I can't remember, and it's online, you could watch the service, it's called The Gospel According to Hosea the Prophet. Um, this is the gospel, it's a love song. Remember, Hosea is uh, one of the, the prophets who prophesies to the northern kingdom. He speaks of the southern kingdom, but he prophesies to the northern kingdom. So when we're reading this, the vast majority of this, although mentioning the southern kingdom, is to the northern kingdom. Uh, let's just look at chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came unto Hosea, the son of Berai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Notice, kings of Judah. So those kings that are mentioned there, they were the kings that were on the throne in the days of Hosea. But they were kings in Jerusalem, in the southern kingdom. And... In the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. That's the northern kingdom. And we remember 1 Kings chapter 11, 1 Kings chapter 12 is when the nation splits into two kingdoms. Then there are two sticks, two houses, two sisters, two sons, the whole way through. And that destiny brings us right up till today. Different destinies. Uh, notice here, king of 
Israel. So here you have the two houses mentioned in chapter 1, verse 1. Did you see that? Okay. Kings of Judah, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said unto Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms, the children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibbalim, which conceived and bare him a son. Now let's just stop here for a little moment. Here, Hosea, throughout the book, and especially in the first few chapters, we'll see it more, throughout the book, you'll see Hosea represents God himself, or Yahweh, Jehovah God. He is the representation. So what God is doing here, he's given us a, a parable and a picture throughout the life of Hosea in the northern kingdom of Israel. And as we go through it, you will be able to see how this fashions and forms onto all that we have talked about before. For example, the name Hosea means salvation. Salvation. And Hosea is, you'll find the name of Hosea in the like of Yehoshua. And that's part of Hosea's name is in that. Yehoshua uh, is also then, when you take it over into your, our, the Greek and English language, it comes to the name of Yeshua. Jesus. So Hosea, his name means salvation. Jesus means Jehovah or Yah is salvation or Yah is saviour. So Hosea represents God here. Gomer that we have written, or pardon me, we have read off here in verse 3. She is a woman who's living among a land of whoredoms in verse 2. And it says, go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and the children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. And the Lord here is looking not at the surrounding nations. He's not looking at Egypt here, nor even the Assyrians or Syria. He's not looking at Edom here. He's looking at his people Israel. And he's saying uh, the land has committed whoredom. Remember Exodus 19. God married Israel and they became his bride and his wife. Now by this time we find that with we find that the wife has committed adultery. That is, Israel, the wife, has committed adultery against Yahweh, Jehovah. She brought in other gods. Started to worship at idols. Started to put them up all over the land. Solomon especially, the man of wisdom, was the one who done the most of it, actually. Unfortunately, in Jerusalem, being the king, hundreds of idols and statues that they would bow down to. So here we find here, this person called Gomer, this woman, in other words, she was sinful. God says, you're me, marry her. That's like me and Israel. That's what it represents. Gomer, uh, the name Gomer, means complete. This person would not be complete unless she was reconciled to God. The name Gomer, meaning complete, but comes from a a root word, which is gamer, which means to come to a complete end. That God would bring Israel in redemption to a complete end. Either it would be a complete end in judgment, that's what happens, but in Gomer, a complete end in him. Notice 
Dibliam is her father's name. Dibliam has a strange name because Dibliam means two cakes. <laughs> two cakes. Now I notice this because it's important. We had two houses, isn't that right? Two sisters, two sons, two brothers, and all this sort of two sticks and so on, two nations. Here we have two cakes, the name of the fa- uh, her father, uh, Dibliam. And here the Lord is looking at one of the cakes, the two houses, one of the cakes, and the cake is the house of Israel. And we'll look, God willing, as we look through some of the verses, the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, is also Ephraim, if you remember, and Ephraim is likened unto a cake. A cake not turned, the Lord calls it, or a cake half-baked. So can you see the picture forming together now already? So we have Hosea, salvation. We have Gomer, who will come to a complete end if they don't turn and repent, but will come into their complete end in God if they repent and come to him. Her father, where she is birthed out of, means two cakes, and that those two houses of Israel, north and south, here the Lord is speaking to the northern kingdom. One of the cakes. So let's look at verse 4. She conceived a son, and verse 4 says, And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease, notice, the kingdom of the house of Israel. God says you're going to cease. What's one of Gomer's name? A complete end. Going to completely end. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. This is important because this first son, call him Jezreel. For example, when we look at uh, the word Jezreel, it's the word Yisrael. Yisrael. Sounds very, 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 very close to Israel. Because it is very, very, very close. Jezreel is really known as Israel because of the likeness of what is happening here. They are the people here. But it means God sows. S-O-W-S. So the first one, Hosea salvation, Gomer, the complete end. The house of Israel will completely end. And the only way Gomer will find her complete end is in her God. Two cakes of Dibliam. He's speaking to one of the cakes here, the house of Israel. And now the son, he says, this kingdom will end. God will sow you. What does he mean? He will scatter you. He will sow you among the nations. For example, Hosea chapter 2 and verse 3. Hosea 2 and verse 3. And I will sow her unto me in the earth. And I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, then they shall say, Thou art my God. Here, by the time we get to chapter 2 and verse 23, we see the grace of God that reaches her. God says, I'll sow you, but I'll bring you back to me. Bring on to me. And so when we look at 
Yisrael, it's made up of uh, two main words, which are Zara and Zara. And Zara means to sow. And Yisrael is really to sow God's people. To sow them. If you'll go with me to Hosea chapter 8, just for a moment. And that's where I run down to verse 7. Let's go to verse 5 and read it. It'd be good to read it from there. Thy calf, O Samaria. What does that mean? Thy calf. They made calves. One in Dan and one in Bethel. In 1 Kings chapters 11 and 12, way back then. Remember, they're all still going down to Jerusalem to worship. Jeroboam started to get worried and he said, we're going to lose these people. Make two calves, put one in Dan and one at the other end of the country in Bethel. And he says, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up from the land of Egypt. So they stopped going down to Jerusalem to worship in the temple and they started to worship in or at these two altars of bull calves that were made. And again, it takes you right back to Israel when they came out of Egypt and Moses went up the mountain and he was away for 40 days and 40 nights. Even away back then, remember they took all their gold off their earrings and they molded a golden calf and Moses came down and smashed the, the law and smashed the calf up. Again, because Ephraim is also one of his symbols is a bull calf. Is a bull calf. So you can see the pattern coming right through. Now, everybody with me okay? Yeah, okay. So whenever we look at this, it says here, Thy calf, O Samaria, hath cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? For from Israel was it also the workman made it. Therefore, it is not God. But the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. For they have sown, there's the word, for they have sown the wind, they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stock, the buds shall yield no meal. If so be it yield, the strangers swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up, now shall they be where? Where will they be? Among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein there's no pleasure. You see the word Gentiles are, it really means among the other nations. So they're gone. People say, no, they all stayed around and all got together and all became known as Jews. The word of God doesn't say that. Notice verse 9, for they are gone up to Assyria. A wild ass alone by himself, Ephraim hath hired lovers. Yea, though they have hired among the nations, now I will gather them, and they shall sorrow a little for the burden of the king of princes, because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin. Altars shall be unto him to sin. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. They sacrificed flesh, they sacrifice flesh for the sacrifices of mine offerings and eat it, but the Lord accepteth them not. Now will he remember their iniquity and visit their sins. They shall return to Egypt. Now the idea here is 
they didn't return to Egypt. They went north Egypt to south right through Judah. The idea of this is the captivity that they had in Egypt, they'll find they're under the same sort of thing. It was the Assyrian that came. That's why we read of the Assyrian in verse 9. God is saying as the Assyrian captivity will be like the ancient Egypt captivity and carry them away. Verse 14. For Israel hath forgotten his maker and buildeth temples. And Judah hath multiplied fenced cities. And I will send a fire upon his cities and it shall devour the palaces thereof. So here you can see the two kingdoms he's even mentioning at this point. He's saying, Israel have forgotten their maker and they're building temples. It's exactly the same as Britain today, isn't it? It's happening all over. It's the exact same. And even Judah at this time, they're building fenced cities or fortified cities, thinking it's going to protect them rather than turn to God. Things don't change much, do they don't? Okay, so let's go back to chapter 1 again, please. So Jezreel, or Yisrael, means God sows. Zarael means, it really gives the same idea, sown by God, or God will sow. Now, if you just want to, let's read on a little bit more. And I, let's read verse 5. And so come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Just before we go a little further, I just want, to, want you to see something. See, uh, Jezreel is Yisrael, sounds like Israel, and then there's an actual name, Israel there. See that? You see that in verse 5. The word Yisrael, we know what it means, power prevailing with God. So it actually breaks up to Sarah El. Sarah El, Abraham and Sarah. It sounds very like the name of it, doesn't it? So look, the idea of this is, it's only found twice in Genesis 32 and 28 when God changes Jacob's name to Israel. They'll have power. The word power in the English is the word Sarah. And that means you'll have power with God or you'll prevail with God. And the only other place that this word is used in this context is in Hosea chapter 12. So we go right to Hosea chapter 12. And it speaks of Jacob and Esau. He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. The word power there was Jacob again, Jacob Israel. And here it is, so that's why the name has changed. So it, you can see the very, one means God sows, and another one means prevailing or power with God, ruling with God. Very, very Closely a link. Okay, so let's read chapter 1 again, verse 6. So Gomer has had a son. His name is Jezreel. <coughs> verse 6. She conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Loruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Now notice again, we find in verse 4, the Lord says, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And now in verse 6, he says, for I will have no more mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. 
but I will have mercy upon the house of Judah. See the two kingdoms? Judah hasn't fallen into the same sin at this point as the northern kingdom has. Notice, but I will save, I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, pardon me, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. And even the very first of this really happens is when the Assyrians come down and take away the house of Israel. They weren't satisfied and they keep coming down, right down and they take away the fortified cities of Judah that we were only after reading about. These fortified or walled cities of Jerusalem that they trusted in, they took them away. Some say there was up to maybe 200,000 Judahites taken away with the house of Israel. And they started to encroach into Jerusalem and that's whenever we start to read of, of Hezekiah. Uh, spreading the letters before God and saying, Lord, this is what the enemy's saying. And the Lord delivers them. And there's something like 180,000 Assyrians dead by the next morning outside the gate. I won't do it by bonus nor sword. I'll do it, he says. And he done it here. Can you see it coming to pass? It's marvelous, isn't it? It's fantastic. So, Loruhama, the daughter, simply means no mercy. I will not have mercy. That is on the northern kingdom, the northern house of Israel. And let's read on again, verse 8. And when she had weaned Loruhama, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, call his name Loami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Notice, ye are not my people, I will not be your God. Simply means, not my people. Speaking to the northern kingdom. You're not my people. I won't be your God. I'm going to utterly take away your kingdom. And that's what he did. So, verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, You are not my people. There it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Notice, then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Or, in other words, they're scattered and great will be the day of Israel when they are not only gathered, but together saved in one head. What's that head? The Lord Jesus Christ. So it has to be through the gospel. Everyone with me now? I actually have a couple of wee pictures, Denise. Can you put those up? Put one up. Now, the first one is. Why is he. Oh, you got it there? Hold on. Uh, that, let me just go on while she's looking at that. Turn with me to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. You're going to go back the way in your Bible because the, the Bible and the books, the way they're set out, are not in chronological order as in time scale and things that happened. They're not all in chronic, so this is how it all happened. So we go back to Isaiah 45. And let's write run down to verse 4. For Jacob my servant's sake, now Jacob's dead, this is his seed, this is Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. 
there is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west. That there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There is none else. Now, when you read on down here, verse 9, just for time sake, we're not going to go into this. This is another study altogether. <coughs> Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Remember we read there? The house of Israel does not know their maker. He's striving with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. What does that mean? He used to throw the potsherds out into the potter's field. Remember, even the field that was bought with the, the, the blood money of Judas Iscariot for betraying our Lord Jesus Christ. And they threw the money out of the potters by a potter's field where strangers were buried in. And the idea of those potsherds are likened here. That the pot is Israel. It's broken to pieces and it's thrown into a potter's field. Thrown into a field. What is the field? The field is the world. Is everybody with me? Can you see it? Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou, or thy work? He hath no hands. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou, or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his maker, Ask of me things that come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands. Command ye me, I have made the earth, and created man upon it. Even my hands have stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness and will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and he shall let go my captives, not for the price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, whenever we looked at that, God then is the one who's saying, there's a pot, it's scarred, it's broken, it's being scattered, but I know their ways. I know their ways. That's where I run down that chapter of Isaiah 45. And let's just go to verse 15. Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel. What does it say? O God of Israel. What's the, the, the last two words of that verse? The. What is it? Savior. It's a capital S. Do you see that? In other words, he's the only Savior. So who is the only Savior? The Lord Jesus Christ. Son of God, Son of Man, God manifest in flesh. Isn't that right? So here, the Savior is made known here to Israel. So how and what, what is the only way they can be saved? Through God the Savior. The Savior who came, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16. They shall be ashamed and go and also confounded of all, all of them. They shall go to confusion Together that are makers of idols, but Israel shall be saved in the Lord. Notice that. Verse 17. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. <laughs> to your everlasting salvation. Here's it here. That's who we are. That's what we have. An everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens... God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. He formed it to be inhabited. So 
all this stuff, we're going to float away off into heaven. And we're not, we're going to be, when Christ returns, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air to return because he formed the earth to be inhabited. And then there'll be a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. After that, it's up to the Lord what part of heaven you're in. That's as far as I'm concerned. He formed the earth to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. I have spoken in secret in the dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Now, let your eye run down just for time's sake. Verse 22, look unto me and be ye saved. Isn't that fantastic? All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. So how do we look upon the invisible God? He becomes flesh. Simple, isn't it? Well, it's simple this side of the cross. When we see it, we read it, we have it in our hands. So God becomes flesh and he dies for us and he takes away our sin and all who look to him will be saved. I have sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness it shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Now where does that remind you of? Go to the book of Romans. Book of Romans please. Chapter 10. In fact, no, do go back to chapter 9. We'll go to there because this will fit in better. And let your eye run down to verse 18. Alright, 15, 15. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Remember he said to Hosea about his son and his daughters, I will have no mercy upon the house of Israel. Here's the mercy. God says, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Uh, Verse 17, for the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will hardeneth, and whom he will he hardeneth. Okay, so if you want to read on down here, he talks about the potter and the pot again. Ready? Verse 19. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing form to him that formed it? Say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Notice, hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel to honour and another to dishonour? God's shown us as the same potter here. Now, when we go over into the next chapter, just let your eye run down the chapter. Verse 9, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Notice, for the scripture saith, 
Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. Notice he says, the Lord says, those who believe in me or are saved to me, they'll not be confounded or ashamed. Let me see if I can remember this off the top of my head. Philippians, please. Book of Philippians. You all know the scripture uh, as soon as you see it. Philippians chapter 2, I think. Let your eye run down. Let your eye run down just for time's sake again to verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now notice, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, when we go back to Isaiah 5, or part me, 45, what is it he says in verse 22 and 23? Look unto me and be ye saved. So this is Jesus on the cross from the book of Romans and now the book of Ephesians. We look right back and we see him before he's flesh. And he's saying, look to me. But Lord, you're invisible. How do we look to you? Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee. You see, Paul rehearses this then in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Can you see it all coming together now? Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. So, in verse 25 of the last of it says, In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. In the Lord who saves. In the Lord who brings everlasting salvation. In the Lord who says, you look to me, there is no other salvation. Whom Paul has spoken about in the book of Romans. Whom Paul has spoken about again, right through the scriptures, but just the ones we have read in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Here is a picture of Israel when they were in before the breaking up of the kingdom. Let's put on another picture, please. So this is just another, this is Israel. You can see the bottom, Judah, the two kingdoms. There's a bit of a clearer one. Put the next one on, do you see? See the blue? It's the kingdom of Israel. And that yellowy color is the kingdom of Judah. That's the way they were. And they fought with each other, against each other, and they were taken away in different captivities. The Lord once said, if you go, let's go to, why we're in Isaiah, why we're here, chapter 50. So the Lord comes and he's speaking through Hosea to the kingdom of Israel, to the city of Samaria. It's their capital city where their kings are. And the Lord here is saying also, look at chapter 50 of Isaiah, verse 1. 
Thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? God divorced the northern kingdom. God divorced the house of Israel. Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Now, remember the creditors? Do you remember the, the, the parable we looked at? There were the two creditor, debtors or the two servants. Remember, one owed 10,000 talents and his Lord put him away and then let him off. When he cried a lot, and we told you that's, that man was the one who was the, the, the southern kingdom later on in time after this. He goes into Babylon. The Lord sends him away because he falls into debt, as it were, in his sin. He cries in Babylon and the Lord brings him back. Parable of the Lord Jesus tells us. And he grabs a man who owes him by the throat and says, give to me. And that represented the northern kingdom who were poor and didn't have all the things that they had. And he says, give to me. Remember that. And, the, and then the Lord sends him away into punishment. And look what happened to the Jews around the world. These two kingdoms, the key was opening. The northern kingdom speaks of the poor man, Lazarus. The southern kingdom is the rich man. And that kingdom is taken away. And as they're moving and settling, here we find that the southern kingdom, they're living it up. They have the Lord. They have the Ark of the Covenant. They have the temple. They have the glory coming down. They have the blood sacrifice. They have the scrolls of the Torah and the Tanakh and all of those things. And they have the blessing of God. He's like the rich man and, and the poor man Lazarus is outside the gate. That's the key that opens it. The prodigal son takes his, uh, his, his inheritance, goes into the far country, into these countries that we've read about that are scattered. That's the prodigal son. And then the older brother, when, he, when the prodigal son comes to himself and brings himself home, what happens? His father welcomes him back. And that's whenever the like of the gospel goes out. The gospel went forth. And we're saved through the gospel that we're talking about now in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now that we're reconciled back to our father, he's welcomed us and he's put righteousness upon us. And he's killed the father calf as it were. He made the sacrifice that we could be saved, that we could be blood washed. And the southern kingdom is the elder brother in the parable. I've been with you all this time. And the father said, you had everything. You've done nothing with it. Can you see it now? That's the key that opens the power. Okay. So here we find verse 1 again of chapter 50. Behold for your iniquities. You have sold yourselves. And your transgressions is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, there was no man. When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. The fish stinketh. Their fish stinketh because there is no water and death or thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth by near to hear as the learned. 
the Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Now he starts prophesying of the Savior who would save them. So to keep the law, God won't break his own law. To keep the law, and he's already married, now he's divorced the northern kingdom, one of those Bibliam figs. How does he re-betroth himself to them without breaking his own law? You and I break it all the time, don't we? How does he re-betroth? Comes in the person of his son and he dies. He's resurrected and he marries his bride. So we are his bride waiting on the return of our bridegroom. All righteousness has been upheld. How does God save you and still be righteous without damning you to judgment through his son? Is everybody with me? You see it all? It's magnificent, doesn't it? Okay, let's go back to Hosea. We'll flick through a lot of verses quickly and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish. There's just so much. I would take... I don't know how long it would take to go through a lot of this stuff, but I'm trying to patch it together to make it seem like a bit of sense to you. So notice here, Israel would still grow in number. He told Abraham, promised Abraham years ago, his seed would be like the sand of the seashore, like the dust or like the stars of heaven. Now when you look at the Jews, there's so many million of them. It doesn't make sense here, does not But when you look at all the covenant nations that we're in, it makes more sense now over the years how many there's been. Now look in Hosea chapter 2. Say to your brethren, Ami, to your sisters, Rahama, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife. See? Talked her out. Kicks her out of the house. The man keeps coming home and, as it were, finds his wife in bed with another woman. Or, pardon me, his wife in bed with another man. Probably another woman too, you know how it is. But <laughs> finds his wife in bed with anything <laughs> and everyone. And, and, and the Lord was doing this, seeing them doing this all the time. Spiritual adultery, idolatry, breaking his heart. He kicks her out. He says, she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore, let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and adulteries between her, from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a, like, like a dry land and slay her with thirst. You know what the Lord's saying? Do you want me to show your shame? I will. Your shame's your own, your sin's your own. And so he kicks them out. Uses the Assyrian to come down and takes them away. Verse four, and I will not have mercy upon her children for they be the children of whoredoms. For their mother have played the harlot she that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax and mine oil and my drink. In other words, she was starting to, they were not only worshipping, but they were starting to come into very close communion with all of these people around. Trusting in them and saying, they do this for me. When God says, it's me that gives you this. Hello, is it happening? It's today. Well, we can do this with Europe and oh, we can even trade with the world and we do all that. Listen, God is our provider. There's our answer. Verse six, therefore, 
I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. You know what that means? He's going to hedge up her walls. You're going to become known as the lost ten tribes. Hedge them up. No way you get. I don't know if you've ever been in a maze. Not the maze, by the way, the prison. I'm talking about a maze. And you've walked around through that maze and you, don't, you can't tell your left and right and you think you're fighting your way and all of a sudden there's a big hedge in front of you. Oh, you turn the other way. That's what the house of Israel done. That's what happened to the house of Israel. Denise, have you got another picture there for us? That's what happened to the house of Israel. God hedged up their ways. He didn't know who they were. They followed their own lusts and their own sinful actions. And as they migrated, they just became lost. And they went this way. Became known by other names. Heathen idolatrous worship. Okay, let's just run down. Verse 12, and I will destroy her vines. Verse 13, and I will visit her upon the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them. She decked herself with her earrings and her jewels. She went after her lovers and forgot me. You feel the heart of God here, can't you? But you know what's happening here? Hosea has married Gomer. Gomer is now doing this to Hosea. She's doing the same to him. And Hosea is prophesying. And so with that, he has a real conviction to be able to prophesy this. Verse 14, Therefore I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. What does it mean to allure her? This was the wildernesses that we see of, of Europe, Scandinavia. What was com- speaking comfortably? The comfortable words of, go- of the gospel. That Christ had come. The bridegroom had come. That he had come and died to rebetrove that we would become the bride of Christ. Verse 15. I will give her her vineyards from thence in the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth. As in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Remember when they came out of Egypt and threw the sea and they had their timbrels out and the cymbals and they started hanging, uh, dancing and singing and, uh, and, uh, and with their timbrels and their fingers uh, praising the Lord for he's championed over, our, over the rider and the horsemen and all this sort of stuff. Well, he's saying, the way you were there when I brought you out, the way you were there is my bride bringing you across that. He says, I'll do it again. And how does that happen? We rejoice in his salvation. He's done it again. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt not call me Ishai. You know what Ishai means? It means man or husband. Which no will call me Baalai. That's simply another word for Lord. Verse 17, for I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth. Verse 18, I, uh, uh, verse 18, and that day I will make a covenant with them. What covenant? Jeremiah 31, we've looked at it. Verse 31 to 33, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Notice verse 19, and I will betroth thee unto me forever. I will betroth thee unto me forever. In other words, none shall pluck us out of his hand. 
None will be able to break us away from him. And even in our own failures, his abounding grace covers us. You might say, they don't deserve this. We don't deserve this. That's why we're saved by grace. I will betroth thee in righteousness. See all the gospel coming out of us? Betroth thee in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. So come to pass on that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth. The earth shall hear the corn, the wine and the oil and they shall hear Jezreel, the ones that were sown. And I will sow unto her, her unto me in mercy. In the earth, that's what we looked at earlier. Chapter 4. Pardon me, pardon me. Chapter 3. Going to round this up. So Gomer has been unfaithful, as Israel has been unfaithful. Hosea representing the Lord. She goes away and she finds herself away, scattered. Israel does. Gomer, God sows. Or God has, pardon me, God brings to a complete end. The kingdom came to a complete end. And now she finds herself in a slave market. Some think it's a prostitution ring. Chapter 3. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? You're going to need the love of the Lord for this, Hosea. But it's my love. It's who I am. That's what he's saying. Toward the children of Israel. So who is he going to love? Toward the children of Israel. Who looked to other gods and loved flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for a homer of barley and for a half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days and thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So will I be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, and without an ephod, without a teraphim. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So he goes out. Hosea goes out, sees Gomer, pays 15 shekels of silver, and he gives the, the barley and so on, and he Brings her home. Who would want a wife like that? That's why the Lord says, do it as as the love of the Lord. That's what he's done with us. That's the gospel. Look at chapter 4, verse 15. Though thou Israel play the harlot, yet let not Judah offend. So you're playing the heart of Judah, don't do the same. And come ye not to Gilgal, neither go ye up to Bethaven, nor swear the Lord loveth. For Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. Notice Ephraim, this is the northern kingdom now, is joined to idols. Let him alone. Let him do it. If that's what he wants, let him go ahead. If that's what you want, he says, go ahead. And then... Chapter 5, showing you the state of the the nation. Chapter 5, verse 3. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hid from me. From now, O Ephraim, thou committest whoredom, and Israel is defiled. See, they were the head name. They were the head tribe now, and they defiled the whole lot. 
Verse 5, the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. So you can see the state of the nation and of the people at this time. Go to verse 13. When Ephraim saw his sickness, Judah saw his wound. Then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and sent to King Jareb. Yet he could not heal you nor cure you of your wound. For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, as a young lamb to the house of Judah. I even I will go and tear away and take away and none shall rescue him. I will go and return to my place until, or until they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction. They will seek me early. Chapter 6, I've spoken on chapter 6 quite a few times. Prophetic word of a Protestant Reformation there. Let's go to chapter 7 and verse 1. When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered and the wickedness of Samaria. For they commit falsehood and the thief cometh in and the troop and the robbers spoileth without. So the Lord is saying here, he says, look, I was going to heal you. But even Ephraim was just poisoning the whole lot of you. He's meant to lead you. Verse 8. Strangers have devoured his strength and he knoweth it not. Yea, grey hairs are here and there upon him, yet he knoweth it not. What is the Lord saying here to that northern kingdom? He's saying to Hosea, this is why I see them. Strangers have devoured you. What does that mean? They've come in, they've built their temples. They've come in, you're worshipping their idols. They've come in and they've turned you to their gods and away from your God. They've come in and they've took over. Hello? Can you see it? It's happening today, Britain. UK. Exactly the same. Verse 11. Ephraim also was like a silly dove without heart. They called the Egypt, they go to Assyria. They look, go everywhere else but me. Chapter 8, and this is our closing. Verse 9. In fact, I read that earlier. That's not there. Let's go to chapter, chapter 9. I read that one earlier. Save me time. And let your eye run down. The verse 7. The days of visitation are come. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The spirits of man is mad. For the multitude of thine iniquity and great hatred, the watchman of Ephraim was with my God, but the prophet is a snare of a fowler in all his ways, and hatred in the house of his God. You know what the Lord's saying? Every truth about the word, the prophet, the spiritual man, they're saying the prophet's a fool, the spiritual man is mad, and the, and the, the watchman of Ephraim, he isn't doing his job and calling out to the nation the way he should be happening today it's exactly the same and then the house of God they're not following me that's what he's saying chapter 10 Israel is an empty vine and bringeth forth fruit unto himself John 15 I am the true vine that's why Jesus is saying this my father's the husband can you see it all coming together Okay, I think I've fried your brains enough tonight, have I? One more. One more. 
Let's go to Hosea 13. Hosea 13, verse 1. When Ephraim spake trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. But when he offended in Baal, he died. And now they sin more and more. So in other words, whenever we're exalting the Lord and the Lord's blessing, but when we allow sin, it starts piling up more and more and more. And let your eye just run across the verse 12. The iniquity of, of, is, the iniquity of Ephraim is bound up his sin is hid. The sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. He is an unwise son. Notice the word son. Remember the parable of the two sons? For he should not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of, child, of children. Now notice verse 14, because you're going to recognize this as soon as you read it. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Does anybody recognize anything about that? Exactly. What does Paul write in 1 Corinthians 15? O death, because here he's saying the grave's going to take you. You're going to die in your sin. But when Christ came, he's now saying there's coming a resurrection. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? That's why Paul's saying that. Can you see it all linking together? Paul knew exactly what he was saying. He says, no, the Redeemer has come. He's resurrected. Christ the Savior has come. The one who was in the Old Testament saying, look unto me and be ye saved. He says that he's the only Savior. Came and died for us. And now he's resurrected and the grave will not hold God's elect. He will resurrect us from the dead. And this is it. Here the gospel is right through Hosea. And that's the key when you're opening it up. So that's a wee snippet of the book of Hosea. Wouldn't it be good to do a study by study right through all of that? And, and, and really bring it out to you because there's so much more. I missed the one where it says he, I missed the one where it says Ephraim is a cake not turned. In other words, he was saying, Ephraim, you're a cake half baked. That's what he says. And remember, Dibliam means two cakes, and he was one that was not turned or half baked. Listen, God bless us tonight. Let's sing. Some